this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Now, a lot of you know me. Um, as I look around the room, some of you have met me more recently. Um, some of you have known me my whole life. Penny back there, I think she's known me my whole life. Um, there's certain ones of you that have seen me grow up. And so I'm not a mystery to you. It is a little weird knowing that you know more about me than you ought to. Um, it is what it is. But for those of you who don't know, I grew up in a Christian home. When I was born, I was taken home to the pastor's home because my dad worked for a church. So he wasn't just a Christian. He was like a professional Christian. And so I was raised in like professional Christian world. And when you are raised in that, you get exposed to things that other people aren't. And so for me, like being in church isn't an uncomfortable thing. Being in this space isn't unusual or uncommon. I actually feel very good here. And that may be very different different than your story. Some people I talk to, like, I don't think I could ever go into church. The walls may not hold. And I'm like, no, they'll hold. They're good, you know, because I've been there and I've seen people of all different people that have came to church. But when you grow up in a church environment, and especially as a pastor's kid, which is what we call a PK, you get exposed to even more weird things because here's what happens. You get introduced to other Christians and Christians are people and people are weird. And so when people put their faith in Jesus, they want to show it in certain ways. And so you end up going to their homes. And everybody's home has a smell. In case you didn't know, yours does. Everybody's does. And it's always interesting. You don't know what you're going to experience when you go in someone's home. But Christians, they want to always like, hey, I want my faith to be outside of me. And so they sometimes have the Christian t-shirts, you know, which are normally pretty cheesy. They also have the bumper stickers. But then there was this thing back in the day called Christian bookstores. Uh, Some of you are like, what? That's a thing? It used to be a thing. There used to be like this Lifeway. There used to be a mall just two miles from here called Metro North Mall and inside of it had the Omega bookstore like the Alpha and the Omega and it was like the final Christian bookstore it was just all coming to an end Amazon took over but when you would go into these places they would have like Christian music they would have you know it was CDs and cassettes back then because downloads weren't a thing Napster was still alive Um, you would have books by people you wanted to buy a Bible you'd go to the Christian bookstore but in the front of the store they always had Christian art And Christian art wasn't like normal art because it just wasn't very good most of the time. And people would take this stuff and they would hang it up in their home. And then I would go as a PK to people's homes and see how they wanted to exhibit their faith. And so normally you go to a home and and they'd have like a doormat, which is what you would use to wipe your feet on. But it gets awkward when people put Bible verses onto their doormats because then you're like, do I use it? Do I wipe my feet on the word of God? And of course, the doormat would always be one of those doormats that's like, as for me and my house. House, we shall serve the Lord. And so, you know, it's like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then you go inside, and sometimes people like to decorate with crosses. You ever have that? Some of you are like, you're making fun of my home right now. Um, you have crosses. Sometimes it's, they still got the Catholic thing in them, and so it's the crucifix. It's still got Jesus on the cross. Others are like, no, it's an empty cross. He's alive. So they have those. Um, how many of you have ever been in a home with this picture? This is the most reproduced picture of Jesus ever. Yeah, yeah. You guys remember Jesus? Yeah, he was in that friend's house or your house growing up. Um, that's not what he looks like, in case you wondered. They didn't have, like, photographers back then. That was actually drawn in 1940. And it's the most widely reproduced 
image of Jesus. And so I don't know where we came up with a Caucasian Jesus with blue eyes. Um, he was Middle Eastern, um, so it probably didn't look like that. But a lot of us, that's our image of Jesus. And so um, I'm exposed to a lot of things growing up in Christian environments. And one of my favorite pieces of art, because it talked about running, it was this Bible verse that normally had this eagle on it. And it would be this idea that you could run and not grow weary. You guys know this verse? It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And it's a great verse. We're going to take a look at it, but here's the problem with this verse. Um, some of you, as I said, you've watched me grow up, which means that you were here um, when I was baptized. I was baptized right here um, as, as a young person. Um, as I got a little bit older into high school, I felt like God was calling me to get involved in ministry, to give my life to being like a pastor. And so I began to like preach when I was like 16 years old. And I'm just going to tell you, it really wasn't that good. And some of you saw that. And when you're a young preacher, you know what you do? You make other people like, you're like, I think I'll try to preach like him. I'll try to preach like my dad, you know? And that did not work, you know? And so I would try to find other people and so you imitate them. And so it's always good to have lots of different ways of communication. But this verse for me is the ultimate verse. If I was going to be like a televangelist, I was going to be just hype. I was going to get some different things going with my voice and just try to get the room going. Do you know kind of what I'm talking about? I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying that this is the verse, you know, if you were going to just go old school and try to preach it. And so I put it in the King James Version just because it's so good. It's just got that thing to it. Like, ah, you know. This is the word of God. And so if you would, let's just have a little fun with this uh, because we, we can and I have the mic and there's nobody to stop me anymore. <laughs> All I get is dirty looks. So, so let's get excited about this verse because here's what it says. It says, but they that wait upon the Lord. Oh, can you hear the guy already? Yeah, you know, wait upon the Lord. Ah, they, they will renew their strength. Oh, I feel my body getting stronger already. They shall run like Forrest Gump. No more leg braces and they will not grow weary. Come on, Janae. This is so good. And they will walk and they shall not faint. How many of you say, I want some renewed strength? Yes. How many of you say, I want to mount on leagues like eagles? I don't even know what it means, but yes. Let's do it. Let's soar like those eagles. Let's have some fun. Anybody? Anybody? So this is a great verse, and I love it. And I said I can't do a series on in the waiting without this verse. But here's the problem. We forget sometimes with preachers the beginning line of this, that all of these things are great. They're great promises. And I don't know about you. I would like my strength renewed. I'd like to mount up like wings like eagles, this idea that whatever circumstances you're in, whatever you're going through, you don't have to be down in it, but you can rise above it, and you can soar above it through the power of God. How cool is that? And that you're not going to grow weary, but you can continue to go. You're going to have perseverance. You can walk, and you won't faint. Yes, I want all of those things, but we forget that it's for a specific group. And who's it for? They that wait upon the Lord. You don't get those other things unless you're willing to wait upon Lord the Lord. But let's be honest, we don't like to wait. We hate waiting. We do everything we can to avoid waiting. But here's what I need you to know. There is something that happens in the waiting that doesn't happen any other time. There are things that you can receive from God in the waiting that he's not going to give you when you're not waiting. If you want renewed strength, it comes in the waiting. If you want to have this idea of being able to rise above whatever you're going through and soar on wings like eagles, it happens as you're in the waiting. And what we so often want to do is we want to short circuit that process. We say, I don't want to wait anymore. 
I want to get going. I want to move on. I want to get to the next thing in life. I talk to young people all the time. I talk to the freshmen. I'm like, hey, are you excited about high school? He's like, no, I just can't wait till I can drive. And so I talk to the 16-year-old. I'm like, hey, are you excited that you can drive? He's like, no, I just can't wait till I can get out of my house. And then I talk to the guy who's out of his house, and he's a freshman in college. And I'm like, hey, are you excited about college? He's like, no, I just can't wait till I graduate. And they're always living for the next thing, and they're never present in the moment. They're like, well, what's next? Well, I think I should have a career. And then they get the career. And then now what? Well, I think I probably should get married. Okay. But I'm not satisfied with my marriage. I think I should have a kid. Oh, great. You have a kid. Now what? Well, I just can't wait till I don't have kids anymore. Like, I can't wait for the empty nest. And now I can't wait till for retirement. And the whole time they live their life, they're never present. They're never here. They're always striving for something they don't have, believing that happiness and fulfillment and contentment's there, but not experiencing what God has to give them now. And we have to learn to sit in the waiting and recognize there are things that God has for us that only come when we wait. So my first point, my first thing I want to encourage you is don't grow weary in the waiting. There are good things that are going to come in the waiting. Don't try to rush through it. Don't try to pass it by. Listen, God's doing something special. You don't want to miss it. Don't grow weary in the waiting, but I prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed for God to do something. I know, don't grow weary in the waiting. There's this cool verse in Galatians that says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good. And here's why for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we remember, like, who's the context of this. They lived in an agricultural time. So we're talking about harvest. We're talking about things that they would have understood that I, I've never lived on a farm, but I understand the concept. You got to take seeds and you got to put them in the ground. And then you have to wait and wait and wait until the proper time in which you can receive a harvest. There's a lot of things that are happening with that seed. And when I look at it, I don't see it happening. It's happening under the surface sometimes. Sometimes it's happening so slowly I can't even perceive it. Oh, I think it sprouted, but is it growing? I don't really know. But if we don't give up, we can reap a harvest. There's fruitfulness that comes in the development that happens in the waiting. And in our lives, we have to recognize that faith is like a seed. Jesus said it's like a mustard seed. It's like the smallest of seeds. But when it is planted, if we do not grow weary in the waiting, it will produce fruit in our lives. It will change our lives. We will be different because of it if we don't grow weary. If we get weary, we, we give up. We don't stick to it. We, we depart, and we never receive all that God had for us. And here's what I'm convinced of, which is point number two. I believe that God wants to move more in your life in the waiting than any other time. See, I think so often we see life as like peaks, like high moments and valleys, low moments. And we try to go from peak to peak. Sometimes we get these valleys in here. But we like to see life this way. But most of life is not lived at a peak or a valley. Most of it is lived just kind of common. It's just another day. It's just humdrum. There's nothing exciting. There's nothing negative. It's just, it's just life. We're just, ugh. I'm convinced God wants to do more in the common hours of your life, in the waiting, than the peaks and the valleys. But the problem is when you think about your history and maybe you say, hey, you know, I met God, and you think back like the times that you felt closest to God, there are always peaks and valleys. Most of the time you don't think about being closest to God in common hours. Well, why not? Well, it's interesting. When you're in a valley, you all of a sudden, it's really easy to cry out to God. 
Like, it's crisis time. I can't do it on my own. I call out to God. Like, duh, of course you would. I remember back in 2005, I took a group of students on a mission trip down to El Salvador. And uh, Rachel was actually there. And so we, we went down there. Um, I was young at the time, and so we were scheduled to go and speak at different churches. I had this translator with me, and so every message is coming through a translator. We're trying to lift up the name of Jesus, see people's lives changed. And so we end up at a camp. And so it's all of these, like, middle school, high school kids. And the camp's located on the side of this mountain, and it's about 40 minutes away from where we're staying. And so we go up there. We're playing soccer with them. And I, I hope Messi's doing really well right now because that game is happening. And so uh, we're, we're playing soccer with these kids. They're teaching us Spanish. They're teaching us how to, you know, talk. And I'm trying to figure out what's the boys' bathroom and the girls' bathroom because they don't have diagrams and banya. I just don't know which one. Um, so, so we're having a great time. We speak. We're there all afternoon, all evening, and so at the end of the night, we're getting ready to load up. We're going to head back to where we're staying. All the campers are heading to the dorms, and uh, we get into the van, and the driver, I'd seen him out front of the van talking to somebody, so he got in the van, and he stopped me. He said, hey, I just wanted to let you know before we start this journey that we're probably going to go a little faster than normal down the mountain, Uh, because last night, there was um, actually a van that got stopped by a gang, um, they got robbed, and everybody in the van got murdered. So just want to let you know as we're going, we're probably going to be moving a little faster. Um, this is important information. So I didn't want to leave all of the students in the dark because you don't know, like, what's going on? Well, I didn't tell you, you know. So I turned to them, and I said, hey, guys, we believe that God can do all things. And here's the story. Here's what happened. And so I want to just ask that you guys would begin to pray for God to protect us as we head back to where we're staying. Now, I had spent time with this group of kids. We had been praying as we were going on this trip. We had done time preparing for this. And normally they would pray for like 60 seconds, and then it would just kind of fade out. I'm like, no, come on, keep praying. They're like, no. Guess what I did not have to do on that 40-minute drive down the mountain? I didn't have to say one word to them. They prayed because their life may have been on the line. They were praying. I mean, they were fervent in prayer. I mean, they were passionate in prayer. And it was a wild story because all of a sudden we were right behind a police officer going down this mountain. I couldn't believe it. And even more wild, I couldn't believe that the driver went around the policeman. I was like, what are you doing? That was like sent from God. That's our angel. Like, that's it. And so he's like, no, we got to get going. I was like, what are you doing? And we came up another police officer and another police officer the whole way down. And so it's easy to cry out to God when you're in crisis mode. It's easy because you don't have anything else to do. But when life is just normal, when there isn't a problem, when it's not a peak, it's, not a, it's just life, are you tuned into who God is? Because I'm convinced God wants to do more in the common hours than he does any other time. And I think a lot of times he's giving us circumstances. He's throwing us into a valley. He's causing there to be a reason for us to turn our attention to him because we're just humdrum cruising along. And he's trying to speak to us. He's trying to communicate with us. He's trying to move us, but we aren't present in the waiting. We need to tune into what he's doing because I'm convinced he wants to do more in the common hours than he wants to do in the peaks or the valleys. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, it says this verse. It says, let us acknowledge the Lord. And I would think that that would be enough, right? Let us acknowledge the Lord. That's good. 
You know, I talk to people, they're like, yeah, I believe in God. But that's not enough. There's more to it. And Hosea says, no, 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 no. Let us press on to acknowledge him. It's not just a flippant thing, I acknowledge him. No, 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 I have to press on. I've got to put energy and effort, and I've got to work and lean in and press in if I want all that God has. See, the truth is, is you only get as much of God as you want. You only get as much as you let in. He's willing to give himself fully to you, but if you don't want it, you don't get it. You've got to learn to press in. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he understood this. He wrote this in his church to Philippi. He said, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but listen, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm not there. I'm not done. The harvest isn't here. I'm still in the waiting. I'm still in the in-between. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Yeah, there's been some great things, but you know what? I'm going to strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul and Hosea understood that in this relationship with God, it's not just a once upon a time prayer and now I'm just waiting to die. No, no, no. There's a pressing on that has to occur, and it needs to occur not just in crisis mode, but it needs to occur on the regular. How many of you guys love movies? We have any movie lovers? Yeah, yeah. How many of you are more like TV show people? Uh, okay. You're not my people. Those things take forever. I mean, good thing you have Netflix and you can binge it because back in the day, it was like waiting a whole week for the next thing. And I never had time for that. And then you miss it and the commercials, it was horrible. I want a movie. I want the whole storyline, the plot, the plot twist, and the conclusion, two hours. Let's just get it done. My wife's watching The Crown for like months. I'm like, what are you doing? What is this? There's more series? How old does the queen get? Is this her whole life? What are you watching? Anyway. Not a TV show guy, more of a movie guy. Here's the thing I like about movies, and some of you like this. How many of you guys like action movies? Just, you know, somebody's got to die in the movie. If they die, you love it. That's great. Yeah, okay. God loves us too. It's just make believe. Um, I like action movies because action movies move from big moment to big moment, from highlight to explosion to grenade to, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen, and you don't see all the downtime. You know, Mission Impossible. Any Mission Impossible fans? Like, I like the Mission Impossibles. They got a little weird the last few, but I like three. Three was my favorite. I don't know why. It was just intense from day one, but boom, like, <laughs> he's in a chair. He's got something inserted in his head. It's going to explode. I don't know, but it's so awesome. And then he's in this tower, and he's stealing something. And then the next scene, he goes from, like, New York to, like, Sydney, Australia or something. It's like, how did he get there? Like, we didn't see, like, him get out of a fight scene, go home, take a shower, put ice on his body where it hurt, icy hot up, ibuprofen, take a nap, wake up, drink coffee, get dressed, put on his disguise, get ready to go through the airport, set on a plane, deal with weird conversation, and then finally arrive in Sydney, get his Uber, then get his Uber to get to the hotel and get to the hotel to get in there to then set up his plan on what he's going to do and then load his gun and clean his gun and beer. We don't see all of that. We just see, wow, and wow, and wow. But there's all this downtime, these common hours. And when we read the Bible, we read the Bible the same way. Because the Bible doesn't record the downtime. It's just like, whoa, Jesus healed this guy, and healed this guy, and healed this guy. And then he ended up these many miles away, I don't know how, and he's doing something here, and dead people are waking up. It's like, wow. We read about Paul, it's like, this guy's incredible. He's all over the map. But it doesn't record the downtime. It doesn't record the common hours. It doesn't record those moments that 
are not worth writing down. You realize in Jesus' life we see his birth, and then we see him at like age two, and then we see him about age 12, and then we don't see him again for 18 years. Why was anything written there? Because it was just common. He woke up. He got dressed. He ate breakfast. He caught a fish. Oop, the fish got away. It wasn't worth recording. We don't see anything until he's 30. And because we don't see the common hours, we don't realize that God's working in the common hours. And even though it's not recorded in the Bible, God was doing things in people's lives. Paul is like this awesome guy who wrote most of our New Testament, but in between his second and third missionary journey, there are seven years that we have no idea what happened in his life. Seven years! What did he do? I don't know. He did something. He had to eat. He had to, he had to live. He had to make money somehow. And so theologians call this the unknown years. We really don't know what Paul did in those seven years, and the Bible doesn't even try to explain it. It doesn't say what he did on a day-to-day basis. But here's what we do know, is what he did afterwards. And I'm convinced that he was able to do what came next because of what happened before. Because what God did with him in the common hours that wasn't worth writing down for anybody else, it was something that was happening personal, and it was happening just with him, and it was happening, and it wasn't a highlight for anybody else, but it was him being changed and transformed into the person that God needed him to be to accomplish his will. And so this is... Point number three, in the waiting, I believe that God perfects in private what will soon be displayed in public. He ain't going to show it off in public until it's been perfected in private. Until you've spent the time in the waiting with God and he's been doing work inside of you that no one else can see, it's never going to be ready. So often we want to just have like God bless us with like five years of anointing all at once. Like because we weren't paying attention, we weren't pursuing him, and now we're in this moment of crisis and we need something we don't have. And I just want to say, why would God just dump that on you? Like you didn't want anything to do with him, and then all of a sudden you just want him to like magic wand you and doink, you're good. There's no doink moments. That's not how he works. He prefers process. He prefers relationship. If he doinked you, you wouldn't need him. You wouldn't look to him. You would just go get your little pill from him and then leave. But he says, no, I want to spend time with you. Like the transformation process is you with me. I don't want to send you to go do something. I want you to be with me because when you're with me, you're going to see my heart. You're going to see how I love. You're going to see a different way of being that you don't understand. I'm going to show you the real way to be human. I created you. I designed you. I know how it works. It's been a little messed up, but spend time with me, and I will reveal my heart to you. See, God's not going to show and display in public what he has not perfected in private, and that happens in the common hours. I love the story of David and Goliath. It's like the ultimate underdog story. Like, you got little David. Most people think that he was about, like, the age of a sixth grader or a seventh grader. Tyler, stand up for me. Here is uh, sixth grader. <laughs> seventh, my bad. Seventh grader. I bet David had the same attitude. Thank you, sir. Okay. (laughs) There's David, and Goliath is this seven-foot-tall guy with extra fingers and toes and, like, massive and, like, mean and cruel. And this little guy shows up and says, I think I can take him. (laughs) And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, right, buddy. Yeah, you're cute. Why don't you go get me some more food? And so this whole incredible, crazy thing happens in which little David goes out there and takes out Goliath with a sling and a stone. And he hits him in the first shot. Now, you think David had never held a sling in his hand? 
Do you think he'd never swung that thing before? What do we know about David? He was a shepherd, which meant probably from about the age of like six, he was watching dad's sheep. So you know what every day was? Watching sheep. I don't know about you, but that would be miserable. Oh, look, he's eating. Oh, now he's doing something else. Let's move along, little sheep. Like, that's his life. He's watching sheep and making sure nothing bad happens to him and moving them along and caring for him. And this is what he did day after day after day in common hour after common hour after common hour. But I'm convinced that while he was out there watching them sheep, he set up some little soda cans. And he got that sling. And he was knocking those cans down, can after can, just... I don't know what this means. I don't know why I'm doing this, but man, I am really good at this. I am getting, I'm getting a skill. I'm getting perfected in something. Oh no, there's a bear. Uh Uh-oh, there's a peak moment. What are you going to do when a bear comes to eat your sheep? Man, he went and killed that bear. Woo! All right. Respect level went up. (laughs) Throwing stones. Uh Uh-oh, lion showed up. He went and took out that lion? Woo! I mean, there's more, there's more to him than met the eye. And so when it came time for him to go and to face Goliath, it wasn't the first time he swung that sling. And God was doing something in his life, preparing him for what was to come ahead. And I believe that when we will allow God to meet with us in the waiting, it's, life's not as we want it to be, but we're in the in-between. That's when God wants to work the most in your life. But it requires you to push in. And that's going to be my fourth point today is that you must will yourself to action. A lot of people don't like this. I just want God to do it. Can't I just pray and he does it? (laughs) No. He wants you to choose to do it. And sometimes, guess what? You don't want to do it. January 1st is coming, y'all, and y'all are going to be reminded that you don't want to do it. You don't want to exercise. You don't want to change. You know you should, but you don't want to. The gym's going to be packed for two weeks, and then nobody's going to show back up. We know how it goes every year. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationship with God, we must will ourselves to action. If you're waiting to feel it, you're going to be waiting a long time. I mean, it's good to be in the waiting, but not like that because you're just dragging your feet. No, you will yourself to action. You say, no, I'm going to press in, like Hosea said. I'm going to press in, like Paul said. I'm going to press in to what God has. I'm going to open myself and be available and real and transparent. And I'm not going to just read my Bible when life's not good. I'm not just going to pray and spend time with him in the morning because it's going to make my day better. No, no, I'm not using him as a transaction to get what I want. I want him to change me. I don't want to just do good. I want to be good. I want to be a different person. And that happens when I will myself to action and say, you know what? I don't want to read my Bible. I'm going to read it anyway. I don't feel like I can get nothing out of it. It don't matter. I'm going to will myself to do what I know I should do. I'm going to will myself to go to church. Yeah, but it's going to be cold next week, Pastor Alex. Did you see the highs? Did you see the lows? It's below zero. Get out. You probably should be around people. You probably should be around people of faith because you're not spending your life thinking about God on a day-to-day basis. You're distracted by lots of things. Your heart's going for the things of this world. You need to be around people who will help encourage you and move you closer to God. So you've got to will yourself to action. I don't want to, but I have to. I need to. It's good for me to do this. We have to come to that place. I heard years ago, and this so stuck with me, that passion, I always wanted to be a passionate person. Passion is not a feeling. It's a choice. And if you want to receive all that God has for you in the waiting, you have to draw near to God. 
And if you wanted to, you'd have done it by now. If you felt like it, you'd have done it. You haven't. So you have to press in to know God by the brutal choice of your will. So as we start to wrap up our service today, as we start to conclude this service, I want to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to sing a closing song today. And it's based out of Psalm 103. Psalm 103 was written by David. Remember the Goliath killer, little man. He grew up. He became the king. And I love this passage because he is willing himself to do something. He is talking to himself. He's saying, "What? bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Come on, bless the Lord. And all that's within me, come on, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Come on. And forget not all his benefits. He forgives you of your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I know this and I'm willing myself to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, I'm going to do this. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. I'm reminding myself of truth, but I will bless the Lord. And so there's a guy who wrote a song based on this and I love it. And in the chorus is simple. You know it. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. He sings it so lovely that you miss the... Sing like never before. Oh my soul, I want to worship your holy name. Not because I'm in crisis. Not because I'm in dire need. It's common, but you're worthy. Check out verse 1. It says this. Go to the next slide for me. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. Wouldn't that be good for you? Some of you guys need a new day. You need a new start. It, the sun's coming. It's a new day dawning, and it's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, I don't know what the future holds, but whatever it is, let me be singing when the evening comes. Ah, oh, that's good stuff. What's the next verse? You're rich in love. Oh, and you're slow to anger. Your name is great, and your heart is kind for all your goodness. You know how good God's been to you? He's been better to you than you deserve. For all your goodness, man, I'm going to keep on singing. I got 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And on that day, oh man, this is great. This is the morbid verse. This is, you're coming to the end of your life. You're not going to always be healed. It's going to be your time. And on that day when my strength is failing, there is no more renewal of strength. The end draws near and my time has come. We're exiting this world. Ah, still, my soul will sing your praise unending. I ain't giving up. Uh Uh-uh. 10,000 years and then forevermore. I'm going to continue to bless the Lord, oh, my soul, in eternity. So today for you, it may feel like a common hour season. If you're like me, once you get past Christmas, it feels like the lull of existence. It's depression season. It's whatever, seasonal affective disorder. I don't know. It's common hours. But what if God wants to do more in your life in the weeks ahead than you've ever experienced? Will you push in? Will you press in? Will you do a little self-talk? No. Bless the Lord on my soul. No, I am going to be where I need to be. And I believe when you show up, there's this cool verse. It's in James. It's my final verse of the day. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You take the first step, and he will beat you. He will be right there. You don't have to do this alone. Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. So this morning, we're going to sing a song based on 103. Psalm, it's awesome. But I want you to draw near to God. You say, I don't think I can draw near to God singing those words. Don't sing the words. It's not like you're going to like lose brownie points in heaven. Okay? This moment is for you to 
experience God, to connect with him. It's for you to draw near to him. For some of you, that may mean that you're just going to just close your eyes and you're going to pray and you're going to say, God, I have not been paying attention to you. God, I've been distracted by so many things. I just need you to forgive me. I need you to meet me where I'm at. I need you to shake me free. My heart has gone wayward. I need you, God, to bring me back. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to get up and you need to will yourself to praise God. Maybe you've never raised your hands in church. You say, why do we do that? Not because it looks cool. We do it, I do it as a sign of surrender. And I don't ever do it any other time in my life. This is something I solely reserve for God. I don't do it for my wife. I don't do it for my kids. I don't, uh, no. But him, I praise you. I'm surrendered to you. I'm all yours. I think sometimes I will myself to action because I want this to be the posture of my heart. And if I physically can start to do it, maybe my heart will start to move in that direction. Will you draw near to God? That's the challenge. And here's the cool thing. He will draw near to you. It's a promise. So if you're ready to experience him, would you stand with me? And let's draw near to God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.